Our first reading comes from Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Our second reading also comes from Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of man this one was taken. The word of the Lord God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Startle us, O God, with the truth, love, and grace of your word. Welcome us into sacred community. Inform us together into the people you are calling us to be. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This month and next, I'm going to be preaching a series of sermons on an idea we are calling sacred community. It's based on a series of stories from the book of Genesis. Most of us know a little bit about the book of Genesis. It starts with the stories of creation and Adam and Eve and the serpent. Then there's Noah and Abraham and Sarah and their descendants all the way down to the story of Joseph. Collectively, these stories are intended to help us understand where we came from and what kind of life God wants for us. This sermon series will address one answer to that question, that God wants for us to live together in sacred community. Now, sacred community sounds a little utopian, doesn't it? So let me be clear from the start that we are not talking about perfect community here. As early as the third chapter of Genesis, which we'll hear from next week, we learn how brokenness is a major part of what it means to live in the world. And so this series is not meant to be a bunch of daydreaming about some fantasy land where everything is great, but to welcome us into a life where we experience joy together and also where we are honest about our imperfections 
and where we try to navigate together through pain and loss and mistakes. You will see in the stories of Genesis that most of the characters we meet are not moral giants. More often than not, they teach us what not to do. So let's travel together into the sacred community we find in Genesis and see what we hear God telling us. I'm going to begin today with two ideas that come to us in the creation stories. The two ideas are Sabbath and companionship. And it turns out that the two are closely related. So to get into talking about Sabbath, which can be kind of a foreign topic for many of us, I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about Jesse Israel. Now, Jesse Israel sounds a little bit like a biblical character, but he's not. He's actually a modern guy. He is an expert in meditation and mindfulness. He's been one of Oprah's favorite guests and has packed enormous theaters and arenas like Madison Square Garden for large group meditation experiences that he calls the big quiet. A friend heard him speak at a recent corporate conference and he led a group meditation for about 700 of them. But first, he told a little bit of his own story. Early in childhood, Jesse Israel experienced tremendous corporate, or I'm sorry, early in adulthood, he experienced great corporate success, uh, which was accompanied by incredible stress from all of the hustling he was doing to keep up. And he connected that to all of the noise that exists in our world. From the noise that comes from our busyness to the tidal wave of information noise from our televisions and our phones to the emotional noise we get from a culture that always wants from us more, better, achievement, growth, go, go, go. Jesse Israel determined that the only way to survive was to try to reclaim some quiet. And now his whole career is based around sharing that message. And the message resonates. My friend looked around at that corporate conference and saw that tears filled the eyes of countless colleagues throughout the room. After the session, the hallway conversations were dominated by talk of the overwhelming noise in so many of their lives. It is no accident that Jesse Israel is able to gather thousands of people just by inviting them to be quiet together. We need quiet in our lives. We always have. Jesse Israel, while his, group, while his work is grounded in different traditions than our own, he's tapped into an idea that has roots in our very own tradition, beginning in the first chapters of Genesis. Presbyterians, like us, prize intellectual rigor, which I appreciate. And that often means that we fill our worship with lots and lots of words. But sometimes we do so to a fault, forgetting that one of the things that faith is supposed to help us with, perhaps the first thing faith is supposed to do, 
is to help us to experience Sabbath, to be quiet together. And we all know about Sabbath, right? It is the last day of creation. It's the time when God looks at everything and says that it's all very good and rests. And so for us, Sabbath is the day of rest that comes at the end of the week. For the most part, we look at it as a luxury that we afford ourselves once everything else is done. We rest because we're tired from the work. We rest because we've earned it from all the hard work that we've done. We rest to get away from it all before it starts over all again. This is Sabbath, right? Or is it? I heard a very convincing argument about Sabbath some time ago in a sermon by a pastor and theologian. His name was Nathan Stuckey. Here's how he reframed this well-known story of creation and Sabbath. In the creation story, there are six days. God separates the light from the darkness, the sky from the earth, the seas from the dry land and plant life, the sun and the stars, day and night, living creatures in the sea and the sky, living creatures on land, and humankind in the image of God by the end of the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, God rests from all God has done. And Nathan Stuckey observes, only God has been working. And as for humankind, God creates them, and not the last thing they do, but the very first thing they do is to keep the Sabbath, to rest with God. For humankind, rest, Sabbath, time devoted to celebrating God and God's creation. This is not a reward. This is not a privilege. This is not an entitlement due to those who have completed their work. No, Sabbath is the first thing. Sabbath is the command that comes the moment humankind has been created. It is the first thing, the most important thing, the act that gives meaning and purpose to everything else in life. Rest is not last. Rest is first. Now I want to invite you back to the beginning of the sermon and that little story I told about Jesse Israel. Take everything that I told you about noise and our need for quiet and consider that all of the non-Sabbath aspects of your lives, that's the noise. All the things we do to earn, accomplish, check off in order to earn money or power or respect, to feel valued in a culture that is all about these bizarre measures of the good life, these things that exhaust us with every passing day and month and year, these things are the noise. And Sabbath, Sabbath is the quiet. Whether you have it on Sunday morning or some other time during the week does not matter. 
But what does matter is the realization that Sabbath, quiet, it cannot be the thing that you earn when you have done enough work. Sabbath is the activity that is first. It frames all of life. And without it, we cannot survive. And here's another thing to consider. I don't think that Sabbath, the quiet, the centering, the focus on God that we strive for in our lives, I don't think it is something that we can do alone. We need to be in a community that commits to it together. At right about the same time that the creation stories talk about Sabbath, there also comes this little story about companionship. The woman is created out of the rib of the man, and the language you sometimes hear at a traditional wedding says that the man leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife, which I just love because of the many obvious ways in which I cling to my wife for survival. Now, this language is archaic. It's not particularly helpful for gender equality or during Pride Month or among single persons, which I was one for the first 37 years of my life. But acknowledging all of these obvious shortcomings, this, is a pro this text is a product of uh, ancient times. And let me simply call this to your attention. The whole point of this story is the first emotion the human feels after God has created him. And that emotion is loneliness. Loneliness. There is perhaps nothing more fundamental and natural than for a human being to find themselves longing for companionship, which can obviously be found in all kinds of forms. And God's recommendation in this story, whether you apply it to marriage or friendship or the sacred community of a church, is that God did not create us to be alone. We need each other. And it is this culminating act of creation that allows the human to sense all of the glory in the world that has been created. The practical takeaway from this is that we're not meant to be loners here at church. And part of the blessing and the challenge of being at church is that not only should we seek out companionship when we arrive here, but those of us who are already here are tasked with seeking out those who may be lonely and to be aware that the need for companionship resides with all of us. So here are some things to wonder about as we begin this summer series on sacred community. I suspect that many of us come into church on Sunday without a lot of intentionality. I know that I've been guilty of that. We get up, get dressed, drive to church, come in, sit down because it's the right thing to do or because we want to raise our children with these values, or because we want to see our friends, 
or because we like the music. All worthy pursuits. But what if you started to walk through the door intentionally, purposefully, saying to yourself, this is my Sabbath. This is my rest. This is my time to reconnect with God. This is the time I take, not because I have earned it at the end of the week, but because God gifts it to me at the beginning of the week to help me ride the wave of demands and expectations, to embrace the joys and endure the sufferings that will inevitably come, not because I have earned it, but because God loves me. It is a gift. It is my Sabbath, and my only job is to receive it. There are a few ways you may wish to think about Sabbath as you sit in church today or as you go into your week. Let me tell you about those things. One is that Sabbath, or quiet, doesn't have to mean a total absence of sound. And I love it that I can hear the children playing it next door even as I say this to you. We often invite you in worship into a time of silence at the start of the service or during the prayer of confession or in our prayers of the people. During that time, it is okay if there is sound, if a child is moving about, if a chair makes noise, if a siren is heard outside, if someone's cell phone goes off. Because if we are burdened by the need to keep the room totally silent, we won't get much of a break from the constant pressures we feel everywhere else. And the other thing is that a lot of time people will say, Adam, quiet meditation really isn't my thing. My mind wanders too much. Okay, sure. Everybody says that. Everybody says that. That's why people who are good at meditation have to practice it. It's a challenge for everyone to turn off the noise. And in times when you are trying to practice Sabbath, expect that your mind is going to wander. Expect that here in your hour of Sabbath at church, your spirit will, also, will often be pulled away from Sabbath by your stresses, your family problems, the things awaiting you at work on Monday morning. When those things come, you don't have to feel bad about them or as if you have failed. This is what the time is for. Acknowledge that those things are there. Ask God to help you with them. And then come back to the Sabbath we are sharing together. And finally, I find that practicing Sabbath, whether I am doing it here on Sunday morning or at some other time in the week, it helps me to prepare to live more graciously every place else to be more attentive when I am speaking with another person, to swim in the pool or to work in the yard with my four-year-old and to be fully there 
altogether appreciating the fleeting time that I have with him. To pay attention to the needs of others who are gathered here today with us, who experience Sabbath together, and remember that we all need rest, we all need companionship, and I am not alone, and neither are you. This time is a gift to you. It is God's love coming alongside you in this sacred community and going into the world with you when you depart. It is love. This is Sabbath. Amen.